Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. You know, we're using this book, Treat Yourself to Life, of Raymond Charles Barker's, and the idea is we're going to be using the power of spiritual mind treatment as we claim a variety of things for ourselves. Today we're working on happiness, the following week we're working on wholeness, and so on. Anyway, I hope you'll join us for the whole series. Last week we talked about the idea of, of what is a spiritual mind treatment, and you'll remember I assigned you a little bit of homework, and so I hope you don't mind. We're going to start right out with the homework. I asked you, if you'll remember, I asked you to come up with a mental equivalent of what happiness means to you. And we talked about the idea of a mental equivalent, that being that picture in our mind, that idea of our mind, of exactly what happiness means to it. What does it feel like? What does it look like? What are the elements of it? Like on your happiest day, I took you back to a time in your life when you felt like it was one of your happiest days. And I asked you to, to recreate it in your own mind. What were you wearing? What was it feeling like? What emotions were coming through you? And so your homework assignment this week was to come this Sunday with a well-defined idea, this mental equivalent of what happiness is to you. Now today, before we move into the uh, treatment part of it, the affirmative prayer part of it, I want to talk a little bit more about happiness. And coincidentally, guess what? The World Happiness Report for 2020 was just released. And I thought I might talk to you a little bit about how the world is doing happiness-wise, how the United States is doing happiness-wise. And, and I think we can use some of the characteristics that they talk about in terms of happiness uh, for building building further that mental equivalent and doing a, a treatment on happiness today. Well, first of all, it's not surprising in 2020 that one particular element in the world was less in terms of happiness. And that was our emotional well-being. Across the board, let's see, the 95 different countries that were surveyed, across the board, the emotional well-being of most people on the planet suffered due to the pandemic this year, right? We all know people that we've uh, lost due to the pandemic. We all know people that have been gravely ill. We know that there have been a certain amount of uh, friction that comes with the pandemic in terms of vaccination or not, masks wearing or not, and so forth. And so in particular, some of the questions about yesterday, how happy were you on a scale of 1 to 10? Pretty much across the world, that, uh, that measure of emotional well-being suffered during 2020. Not surprising at all. It's interesting, though, that many of the other indicators of happiness that you might have thought also suffered actually didn't within the margins of errors of their surveys. Most of the other indicators of happiness, whether it be wealth and financial stability, social support, life expectancy, social freedoms, generosity, and so on, most of the other indicators within the realm of air in their survey stayed about the same. Now you might wonder, well, how did the U.S. do, right? How did we stack up in 2020 versus uh, 2019? In 2019, the United States ranked 
16th out of all of the countries that were surveyed. And in 2020, we rated 14th. So actually, in the ranking, we came up a little bit compared to other countries. Just Google World Happiness Report and you can read all about it. But one of the conclusions was, well, here in America, around the pandemic, we are coping rather well. There are vaccinations available for those who want it. There is good medical care for those who need it. In many other countries, that's not the case. And so it's not surprising that that perhaps we rose up a little bit compared to some of the other countries because of our, our good medical system and, uh, and our ability to, to meet the pandemic relatively head on. So what I do want to focus on today, though, are the elements of happiness. Now, I asked you to come up with a, a mental equivalent of happiness in your own mind, and I bet a lot of you are like me. You pictured yourself on a day that was incredibly happy, and it might have been a special occasion, it might have been a time in your life when everything seemed to be going your way, and, and, and it's wonderful to re-experience those emotions, those thoughts, those ways of being. But have you actually thought about what are the elements of happiness? Because happiness itself, I'm not sure that it's actually an emotion or is it a combination of different emotions that, that we respond to with the idea of happiness. And I thought it was interesting that the, the people doing the World Happiness Report uh, came up with a variety of indicators that indicate when a country is happy, and I thought it might be interesting to see if that's true for us as individuals as well. So bear with me. Let's, let's try this out and see if it makes sense that these elements or features, if you will, of our lives do contribute to and are partially responsible for our feelings of happiness. So the first one, in terms of a country, they call it gross domestic product, right? But what is a gross domestic product for a person? Well, it's making sure that you're earning enough to, to meet all of your basic needs. Now, does a country necessarily get happier if it has yet more money than what it needs? The answer apparently is not. If you look at the World Happiness Report, there are countries that are rich and there are countries that are very poor, all in the top ten, right? And so, so it really is having enough money, enough abundance, and uh, enough of a structure so that our basic needs are being met. But if you go beyond that, it does not necessarily promote more happiness. So having our needs met, absolutely. Uh, but once our basic needs are not, being more wealthy does not necessarily make you happier. The second one is what they call social support. And the way you measure that in the country are some of the systems that are there to support people. Is there a pension program for everyone? Is there free education for everyone? But I would put that back to the personal level for us. What is social support in your life? It is the people and the systems you have for collaboration, for connections, for being with each other, and also helping to serve one another. And when those particular systems are in place, we do tend to feel happier. If you think about it, do you feel secure? If something were to go wrong in your life, Knowing that there is a stable social system, it could be your family, it could be health services, but, but knowing that a system is in place, 
to be there for you physically, emotionally, right? Just think about how that would tend to make you feel better about yourself and about the world. And so I absolutely do think that's something worth considering. Do you feel that you have a social support network in your life? The next one, in the terms of the countries of the world, they talk about it, a healthy life expectancy. But, but I would just get that basically down to, do you feel healthy? Because what I know is if you're not feeling healthy, if you are not have vitality and vigor, if you're not up to par, how much are you likely to feel happy about yourself? Part of being happy is a plan for good exercise, good nutrition, being well, doing the things you need to get out and get exercise. I know during the pandemic, a lot of people have been so inwardly focused that some of our outward activities have been curtailed. We're perhaps not out in nature as much or walking as much. We may have fallen into bad habits in terms of eating and other things. But your physical well-being is an important part of your ability to feel happy. And so do consider that too when you're doing your own planning and our own prayer work later in this hour for happiness. And next one is really interesting. In the terms of the world, they talk about social freedom. And it's really the ability to be yourself in a social context. Now let's think about that for a minute. Many countries out there have very specific social norms that may be oppressive around certain kinds of people, certain groups of people. That tends to promote less than happiness, not only for those target groups, but really for society as a whole. The countries where there are great social freedoms, the ability to be and to do who you are authentically tends to promote happiness, not only for the individual, but for the country as well. So again, I would ask you, how are you feeling about that? Do you get to be authentically who you are when you're out in the world, when you're with your friends, when you're with family? Or are maybe you trying to be the people pleaser just to fit in? When we're striving just to fit in to other people's ideas of who we are, it's not a way to find happiness in the world. Uh, interestingly, on the scale is generosity. Now, they measure that in terms of country by how much philanthropy, how many social systems exist that can help people out. But of course, on the personal level, generosity is you feeling useful in the world. It's you being able to contribute your, your talent, your love, your care, your connection to other people. And of course, it's a good thing for the other people, but guess who it affects even more? It's you. When you're generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, when you're out there to help people and to stand for things out in the world, it makes you feel good. It's a wonderful antidote uh, to depression. It's just to be of service, to be generous to your fellows. And then finally, it's interesting, they also have a measurement of the absence of corruption. So it has shown that societies where 
corruption is endemic, right, at a, at a governmental and system level, people tend not to be happy. Well, that just makes sense. But how do we translate that into the more personal realm? I think it's honesty and vulnerability. How much do you trust your circle of friends, your circle of family? How much trust is there? How much availability of, of honesty and the ability to work through issues that are important to you? How comfortable do you feel being vulnerable with your friends and family and coworkers? So what do you think? Have you thought of happiness in terms of these different criteria before? See, I think that we respond to happiness just, well, it just is. I don't think we're used to the idea of, well, actually, <laughs> there are things I can do to help create this. So that's what I want to sort of pitch out to you today. You have dominion over so many of these things. You can actually set yourself up for happiness. You just don't have to wait for some magical, I don't know, alignment of planets and, uh, and things on the outside. You actually have the power to set yourselves up for happiness if you pay attention to these particular things. Are your expenses covered? Do you need to have a, a, another form of income or another way of being in the world? It's important that our basic needs are met and we don't have to spend a lot of time in acquiring more once our basic needs are met. So more money is not going to make you necessarily happier once you are able to pay the bills and live well, it's probably enough. You don't need to spend more time on that. It's likely not to make you happier. But is your social support system good? If something were to happen, do you feel good about your friends and family stepping in? Do you have things in place for, for creating that security and that ability to plug in to social networks? Are you healthy? Are you getting the exercise and the sleep you need? A recent study showed that almost four-fifths of Americans do not get enough sleep every night. Some of the basics that you can do for yourself, you may not be aware of it, but actually set yourself up for happiness. All you have to do is pay attention to some of the basics. Social freedoms, are you the people pleaser? You know, I went through a long period of my life where I think I was living for other people. I think I was trying to tailor my own reactions, my own way of showing up in the world so that it would make other people feel comfortable or other people feel happy. And yet that is not really a recipe for happiness, not for you and not for them. Being authentically who you are, speaking your mind, allowing yourself to step out in your own unique way. It promotes not only happiness for you, but it gives permission to other people to likewise be authentic. Generosity. I hope everyone here has a hobby, and by hobby, I mean some way of contributing out to the world. I know many of us have jobs that it's hard to see the contribution that we do in our job, but we all have that ability to be a volunteer, to be generous in some way in our lives. Even if it's only just to call a friend who's maybe uh, lonely or feeling disenfranchised, even if it's only volunteering for a couple hours hours a week at your spiritual center or at the library or something like that. The ability just to help other people in that generous way not only blesses them, but blesses you. 
And then, of course, the absence of corruption one. I love that. How honest are you? How available are you? Can you show up for other people in a very authentic way? It's bound to make them happy. And the studies would tend to show that it makes you happy as well. Well, I do have a joke today to lead us into talking about our treatment on happiness. And so here goes. An older gentleman goes to a church revival meeting and listens to the preacher. After a while, the preacher asks anyone with a need to be prayed over to come forward, to come down front. Well, the old fellow gets in line, and when it's his turn, the preacher asks, Sir, what do you want me to pray for? The gentleman replies in a somewhat loud voice, Preacher, I need you to pray for my hearing. Well, without a pause, the preacher puts one hand over the fellow's right ear, the other hand on top of his head, and just prays up a storm. Well, after a few minutes, the preacher removes his hands, stands back, and asks the fellow, Well, sir, how is your hearing now? Well, the old gentleman looks confused. I don't know, Reverend. It's not until this Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, I know, gro groans all around. <laughs> but I guess that leads me to the question, do we really know what we're praying for? It's just as important to know what you're praying for as the format of your prayers. So the book that we're using this month, Treat Yourself to Life, has a lovely index in the back that walks you through six steps of prayer. This was uh, written back when the Unity Organization had a six-step affirmative prayer. Well, here in the Science of Mind, in the teachings of religious science, we tend to use a five-step program. You know what? I don't think it really matters. And, and if any of my own practitioners want to argue with that, uh, later on I'll, I'll be up for it. I think that every prayer is valid. I think that every prayer is useful. But I would share with you uh, the technique that we use here in uh, religious science. It is a five-step format. And in fact, on our website, with each of the Sunday services coming up, you'll see a link there for prayer. And if you click on that, it not only tells you how to use the five-step system, but it will also give you a short prayer. So today, for instance, if you click on the service today where it says a prayer for happiness included, that will bring that up for you, and we'll be doing that throughout the month. But I would like to share some essential pieces that I think should be included in any prayer that you wish to be effective. You'll remember last week we talked about there's a million different reasons you might want to use prayer. This month we're focusing in on what I would call effective prayers, that prayers that will actually have a result in your life, prayers that will have some kind of a, they'll change your conditions for the better. So those kind of prayers, I think, need to have a few specific elements that I'd like to go over. One is an acknowledgement of God's power. If we're expecting results, we need to know that it's possible and the place to start, I believe, is with an acknowledgement of God's power. Now, this is the God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the God that created the galaxies. This is the God that has uh, uh, all of the atomic uh, structure that enables uh, matter and light and everything that we, that we know and love and expect in the world. This is the God that's the creator of everything. And so I acknowledge that power, that creative force. And I think it's important because how can I expect my prayer to be effective if I don't think that God can be effective? 
And so that's normally where I would start my prayer. That's normally where I would recommend that you start your prayer. It's an acknowledgement of the power of God itself. And if you want to be specific, even in the power of God to specifically uh, provide a healing or a change in your life, if it's more love that you want, let us recognize that God is love. In this week, we're talking about happiness. Let's acknowledge that God is joy. God has what I want, and let's acknowledge it. There's nothing uh, diminutive here. It's the full power of the universe at your disposal, and that's what leads us into the second part. If God has it, we don't want to be left dangling with just us wanting it. And so the second piece that I recommend for every prayer that's to be effective is that old hermetic principle of as above so below. The ancient Hermetics, this was the, the religion or the spiritual tradition that Moses would have been indoctrinated into. They believed that whatever was true for God, so as above, was also true for us here on the earthly plane. So if God can have joy, we can have joy. If God is power, power is ours to have and to use. And so normally, I think an effective prayer, once we have acknowledged the, the creative power of spirit, is then to say, and that power is also mine. God's joy is my joy. God's love is my love. I have the ability to, to experience, to channel, to, to have that which God also has. Now you might say, well, why is that true, Larry? Why do you think that just because God has something that you have it as well? Well, it's because I'm created in God's image. You know, all the great scriptures of the world make that claim that humanity is a part of the divine. Now, I know from time to time, our actions don't look so divine. I, I am aware that sometimes we're um, even a little on the malicious side. But we were created, at least, in God's image. And God would have us, God would share with us, truly the keys to the kingdom. When Jesus and other ascended masters talk about heaven here on earth, that's what they're talking about. The ability for us to experience the divine, even as God is the divine. That hermetic principle. As it is true up above, so it is true here on earth. Heaven is present now. And so that's the second thing that I weave into each one of my affirmative prayers or these spiritual mind treatments. I claim for myself that same power, that same joy, that same love that is present in God. Well, the third part of every good prayer, I think, is just saying what it is you want to experience, right? And, and, uh, right? I mean, how, how do we communicate with spirit? It's through our own thinking. It's through our prayer. And so the third piece of this, or the third step, would simply be an affirmative declaration of what I want. Well, I want joy. I want peace. What is it that I want? And, of course, that's where we would use this mental equivalent that we've been coming up with. What does happiness mean to you? Is it that close connection of friends? Is it that level of prosperity that makes you feel whole? Is it your good health? Is it the ability to be yourself and express freely in the world? Is that sense of love and being loved? Is it uh, the ability to be generous? What does 
happiness look like for you in your life? When are you feeling the most happy? What, what is it in you? What's being expressed? And so I think the third part of any good affirmative prayer is just to speak your truth. What is true for you? What is happiness for you? Now, depending upon what tradition you are in, whether it's the Unity Church or Divine Science or Science of Mind, the additional steps may vary a bit. I know you'll read in the book, Treat Yourself to Life. Raymond Charles Brocker recommends a, a spot that you can put denials in, for instance. And I know in Science of Mind, often we have a step of, of gratitude to acknowledge um, this uh, new existence as though it were already yours. And, and I would say, you know, these are good and useful. And I do want to spend just a moment talking about the idea of denials because they're featured prominently in the book. And you may have noticed in the science of mind, we seldom do denials. I think there is a place for them, though. I don't know that I would use them in every prayer. But have you ever said a prayer or said an affirmation and a little voice in the back of your mind said, yeah, right. I think we've all had that experience where, where something in our own thinking sets up like a, a chasm between what we would like to have and what we think we can have. And for me, it usually happens, right? As I'm talking in the third step of a prayer, there might be a little voice that says, Larry, do you really think you're, somehow you're going to get rich? Or a little voice that would say, Larry, do you really think you're worthy of that level of love and connection with your family? And so I think if you have that kind of a pushback, if your own mind is giving you a little bit of a pushback around living the good life, that that is where a denial might be useful. When that thought comes up, you can just say to yourself, I deny any force of evil in this world. I deny my own thinking around this particular issue. I deny that anyone on the planet isn't worthy of love, and that includes me. I deny these beliefs and lack and limitation. They're not true. They are simply not true. It's just a fantasy of my own mind. And what I know is I will gain control over my own thinking and just release that nonsense. I deny that it's true. I deny that I have to be sick. I deny that I have to be poor. I deny that people aren't attracted to me or whatever it is, whatever crazy belief you may have picked up over the years. Do not think that you cannot spend a moment addressing that issue head on. But I would not end the prayer there. My thought is let's deny something that's standing in the way. And then let's end the prayer with what we really do wish to experience. Let's, uh, let's shovel out the old stuff, but there now we have a nice space for something more positive and, and, and more real and more wholesome. So let's do the not denial and then follow that up with something sweet, a true picture of what you would like to experience in the world.
And then finally, I do think that every good prayer deserves a send-off. Now, in the science of mind, we tend to say, and so it is. And, and, you know, it can be as short as that, but the idea is I'm turning it over to spirit. I'm not going to dwell on it anymore. I'm not going to obsess on it anymore. I've done my part. I've defined what it is I want, and I've turned it over to spirit, and now it's complete, and so it is. Use whatever words you like, but know that the prayer is whole and complete and you've turned it over to spirit and the reason i do that is i don't want to spend any more of my time worrying every time we worry about something what it tends to do is unplant the seed a prayer is like an amazing seed that left on its own with spirit will be nourished and come into full fruition and then if we start worrying about it it's almost it's like, well, let's dig this seed up again and examine it some more, <laughs> right? We never even give it a chance to put out any roots. I'm going to just worry about it. I'm going to stew about it. I'm going to put out all these negative vibes about it. And, and, of course, what are we doing? We're counteracting the joy that we deserve. We're counteracting the love and the peace that we've so beautifully prayed about. Well, where I'd like to close today is to do a prayer for happiness. And to lead into this, I think, uh, I think I would like you to think once more on that mental equivalent that I asked you to build about what that happiness might mean to you. Now, I've given you a little bit more information today, right? So you might want to investigate your mental equivalent in terms of abundance, in terms of social support, in terms of your health, in terms of your freedom, the ability to authentically be you, in terms of your generosity and willingness to help others, and also in your ability to be true to yourself, that ability to speak what is true and to notice when other people perhaps are being disingenuous. So close your eyes if you're willing. Use your mind as though it were a time machine. And once again, think of some of the happiest moments in your life. Periods of time in your life when it felt like everything was going your way. You might pick a specific time or a specific event that just seems so cherished. That bubbly effervescence of a, of a party or, or the sweet reverence of a, a special moment like a birthday or a wedding. Allow yourself just to sense all of the emotions going on in your mind during that particularly happy time. And once again, ask yourself, what's going on? Who's with you? Ask yourself some of the questions that we learned about today. Are you feeling supported financially? Or are your affairs in good order? Are you healthy? Do you feel free and connected to the people around you? What are some of the things that create happiness outwardly in the world that could be at work in your life right now? And so let me begin our prayer for happiness. God is the source of all good. And this includes every element of happiness. It includes wealth and abundance, social support, health and wholeness, freedom, truth, Every good thing is an infinite supply, and it is freely given by all-powerful spirit.
Right now, I accept that the creative power and full resources of God are at my disposal. God's wealth and support are mine. The freedom and health that I desire are at hand. The joy of living is here now, and I claim God's good is mine to have, to use, and to share. Happiness is mine today. I open my heart and my mind to receive the good life and the happiness that it brings. All of the positive experiences that I desire are mine, and I freely share my good with others. I look forward to each day knowing that I bring happiness to it and accept happiness from it. And now I invite you to personalize this prayer for happiness even further by any specifics that you might have. In your own mind, in your own heart, just state any additional elements of happiness that would make all the difference for you. What truly is happiness for you? Just personalize that with a few thoughts. And so I give thanks for participating in the growing happiness of this planet. I give thanks in knowing the power of prayer and the ability of spirit to respond to all of our prayers. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Well, I do have just a little bit of homework for you. Next week, we're going to be using spiritual mind treatment to bring more love into our lives. So in the same way this last week that I asked you to come up with a mental equivalent of happiness, see if you can do that for love and loving relationships. What is your mental equivalent for a love and loving relationship? And don't, don't forget to extend that to friendships, don't forget to extend that to coworkers and other people that you associate with. I'm not talking just about a romantic partner, but, but love in that broader context. What does love look like to you? I'm going to close with a, a quote from the book here. You are in heaven to the extent that you are able to control your own consciousness. You do not experience heaven through a church through a religion, or through this book. You just produce it through the disciplining of your own consciousness. You have heaven when you relax and realize that the world is a grand place. This world is a great adventure when you are feeling well, have enough money, when you're happy. You see heaven by clearing your own vision, not by changing the world, you see heaven by treating yourself to life here and now. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. 
We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.